Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. May is one of my favorite months because we honor and celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary. We crown her statues in our churches and we resolve more Marian prayers in our own life. We can honor the Blessed Mother in so many different ways, and my new book, How They Love Mary, explains that. But another way, beside the devotion and the prayers that we pray, that we can honor the Blessed Mother is perhaps by wearing socks that depict the image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was so excited to see that Sock Religious has a new Our Lady of Fatima sock that they just released this month. And if you are a big devotee of Fatima, I encourage you to buy a pair of those socks and to wear them proudly during the month of May. They have other Marian socks as well, including Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of La Leche, and other Marian designs. Head over to Sock Religious by clicking the link in the show notes and get your Marian socks and celebrate the month of May in style. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. As we continue to make our way through the book, How They Love Mary, we are now on Lesson 3, which is a lesson about Padre Pio and his Marian devotion. I think Padre Pio was probably one of the first saints that I learned about, you know, put him in a handful of popular Catholic saints uh, outside of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Uh, Padre Pio is probably one of the first. And I remember growing up that uh, EWTN used to have like a free giveaway each month. You would just send in a self-addressed stamped envelope and so they, and maybe a little donation or something, and they'd send you something. And we had this little plaque in our house for the longest time, pray, hope, and don't worry. These most famous words, probably, of Padre Pio that have provided comfort and consolation to so many people when they hear them, to pray, hope, and do not worry. For myself, too, there was a point in my life where I was kind of discerning religious life and such, and and I wasn't discerning the Capuchins or anything like that. I was actually uh, discerning between the diocese and uh, a Marian religious community. And um, one day I started praying, asking Padre Pio, just because he was one of these popular intercessors in my life. I had gotten a little prayer book in the mail uh, dedicated with prayers to Padre Pio. And so I started asking Padre Pio for help in my own discernment. And I was applying to be a priest for the Diocese of Green Bay, but there was another diocese I was a little bit interested in. And so I decided that I was going to go and meet with the vocation director there and and everything like that. Now, I had these instances of Padre Pio in my life, the prayer book that I got. I went to these nuns and there was a prayer card to Padre Pio. They had it. And so he was just really following me around. And I ended up at the other diocesan vocation office and there was an image of Padre Pio. And for whatever reason, I thought that that was a sign to me that I should go back home, that everything else took place with Padre Pio in my spiritual life, going 
back home and being a priest there. So, so I would say Padre Pio had a hand even in my vocation story. So today, I want to talk a bit more about Padre Pio, and there are lots of different places and lots of different people you could talk to. And today, I am speaking with Nicholas Selkowski, who is the Director of Communications for the National Center for Padre Pio in Pennsylvania. And they have a beautiful campus there. They have a they promote devotion to Padre Pio, and he's going to share a little bit about that with us today. So thanks so much, Nicholas, for joining me. Sure, Father Edward. It's very nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for having us join you. Now, I guess maybe the first thing to start out with is Padre Pio is a very popular saint. You know, go lots of different places. You're going to find statues of Padre Pio. Go to shrines. There will be statues of Padre Pio for sale in the gift shop. He is very popular. Why do you think he is so popular among a lot of the Catholic faithful? So it's funny, you know, you say about shrines and, and various other locations that have statues of Padre Pio. Just today, a colleague and I were talking about how it's funny, around here, uh, in addition to churches and shrines and things of that nature that, that you always see Padre Pio in, every pizzeria within like a 25-mile radius of us, all the, the Italian-owned pizzerias, all have some sort of Padre Pio statue or um, prayer cards or, or something that are taped to their wall. It's it's uh, it's very it's something that we find to be very cool around here. A lot of it comes right from from us. So you know we we do we see Padre Pio everywhere in this area. Um, to really to answer your question, it, it's my opinion the reason that he is is one of the most popular saints. He is he is modern. There are people alive today that still know that they had had see, uh, seen him or seen read about him like there are people living today that can say you know i vividly remember stories of this person when when i was a child we get that a lot we get a lot of people who are in their their 70s and 80s that come here who are familiar with padre pio from from growing up and and reading about him and, and the works that he was able to do of course, everybody is familiar with a lot of his his gifts. Being able to bilocate the the idea that he could read your soul in the confessional, um, of course, known for healing, which is why we exist because of a healing that Padre Pio performed on one of the the family members of the founding family of this organization. So, I, I would really highlight those as as really part of the reason that he is so popular healing modern and and the fact that he had so many different spiritual gifts that people really find interesting um to, to talk about it's kind of funny you mentioned finding padre pio at the different pizzerias and of course being an italian saint it wouldn't be a far stretch to think that the Italians would have probably the most supreme devotion. That's kind of a pun, I guess, supreme pizza, a devotion to Padre Pio. He is this greatly popular saint. And I'm very curious then about you. You work for the National Center of Padre Pio. And did you grow up with the devotion to Padre Pio? Or is this something that you've acquired through your work? So I grew up in, in this organization. I grew up in this lifestyle. My grandparents 
are Vera and Harry Calandra. They are the founders of this center. And when I was referring to the miracle, or what we call a grace that was received by a family member, actually occurred, uh, was my aunt who received the grace from Padre Pio in 1968 that led to the founding of this organization. So, you know, whether I, and, and I know that this is going to come off wrong, but whether I am or, or was going to be interested or not, um, this was always a part of my life as far back as I can remember. My grandmother traveled the world. She spoke at, at various uh, universities and churches and monasteries. I mean, she, she was the North American representative of the Capuchin Friary, uh, the, the Our Lady of Grace Capuchin Friary. So, you know, she, she worked closely with his brother friars. We got to know them through her. Father Alessio, who was Padre Pio's personal confrere, married my parents in 1985. So this was always, it's sort of like in my blood, I guess is a, a one way to put it. And so then for your family, you're talking about your grandma who traveled all over the world, your parents and you, you all have been really integrated into this devotion of Padre Pio. What does that look like, I guess, when you have it so much a part of your life? Is that, uh, you know, you have statues, of course, maybe you have a statue in your home, or do you pray devotions? Is there a certain novena you pray to St. Padre Pio? Uh, what does that devotion look like for your family? So I'm going to tattle on myself a little bit, but I I didn't really have much devotion at all. Um, I grew up is in in this family. I went to a Catholic school. Um, I knew my faith, but I, I wasn't really. I guess as you find with a lot of youth today, not I didn't really care about it so much. I, I was more interested in in sports. You know, around here we've got the Philadelphia team, so it was always what are the Eagles doing. Um, you know, girls, things like that. I really didn't have a lot of time for for my faith. Um, fast forward to the the mid twenty tens. My first child was born in two thousand and twelve. My second child was born in two thousand and fourteen, and my my second child was born uh, with a lot of congenital defects, and he was going to die. Um, you know, of course, as soon as something like that happens, you know, we turn to our faith, we, we start bargaining with God, you know, please heal my child, please heal my child. And I'm fortunate that my child who was dying, he was on bypass at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, you know, we were, we were told essentially it was time to pull the plug and, and let nature take its course. Uh, that child will be eight years old in August. So through the intercession of Padre Pio, my son is still alive. Yes, he still has complications. But, you know, Padre Pio was who I turned to because uh, my family was the Padre Pio family. So we, you know, my my um, my aunts, uh, Vera and Julie, brought the relic of Padre Pio to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We prayed over my son with it. We touched it against him. And like I said, he will be eight years old in August. So almost immediately, my devotion to my faith, my Lord, and Padre Pio returned, and it has been strong ever since. 
Wow, that is incredible to hear, you know, how Padre Pio has been involved in your family history with your family miracle, your miracle itself for your child. And these miracles abound. Are there other stories of Padre Pio miracles, maybe in your own network related to the National uh, Padre Pio Center? Do you, could you share some more of those uh, little stories? So are you familiar at all with the, the miracle that led to the founding of the facility? I am not, no. Okay. So in 1968, my, um, or 1966, excuse me, my grandmother had given birth to her fifth child, uh, Vera Marie. And Vera Marie was born with congenital defects of the urinary tract and um, was really not given much of a chance of survival. She had to undergo many surgeries culminating in the removal of her urinary bladder in 1968. The surgeon who performed that operation was C. Everett Koop, who would go on to become the Surgeon General of the United States. He's actually written extensively, or when he, he had written extensively about this uh, in the 70s and the 80s after, you know, the this miracle had occurred. So after her bladder was removed, she was sent home from the hospital and the doctor essentially told my grandparents, you know, make her comfortable. My grandmother said, how's she going to live without a bladder? The answer, of course, she's not going to live. Take her home, make her comfortable. I guess it would have been August of 1968. My grandmother was sitting in her living room. She had just given birth to her sixth child about a month or so previously. Um, she was sitting in her living room, and she experienced what she would go on to call a distinct locution. She heard a voice tell her, bring your little girl to me here in Italy. Do not delay. And most importantly, the emphasis was on come immediately. Bear in mind, Padre Pio died in September of 1968. So if she had not gone immediately, if she had hesitated, she might not have gotten the opportunity to, to take uh, her child to Padre Pio. So... Two babies, the two-year-old born in 1968 or 1966, and then the newborn born in 1968, who was approximately a month old at this point, uh, my grandmother, and then she brought her oldest child, uh, her son, Michael, with her to assist her. Suitcases full of diapers. Uh, they got on a plane and they went to, to Rome and then took a bus to San Giovanni. Um, she did not speak the language. She, she was not familiar, obviously, with the country. She just ha was operating really on faith at this point. She made her way to San Giovanni Rotondo. She was granted an audience with Padre Pio. Um, she wanted to tell Padre Pio, you know, you called me. I'm here. Please help me. And essentially, Padre Pio was wheeled right past her. He put his hand on the head of my aunt and kept right on going he was very ill at this point he was confined to a wheelchair um or, well not confined but he primarily was pushed around in a wheelchair at this point except for when he was offering mass uh my grandmother was not satisfied with that visit she she said you know he asked me to come i came and he had no time for me i need to see him again so she was granted a second audience with Padre Pio the next morning. The porter at the friary told her, come back for his 5 a.m. mass, and we will you know, bring you back to see him after that. She was able to go and see him again. This time, although they did not speak words to each other, 
she recalls speaking to him through her heart and she asked him to make a miracle and in exchange she would help all of the people to believe she would make him known to the world they fly back to the united states of america and she is seen at the children's hospital of philadelphia my the, the sick child and the doctors found that she had begun to regrow a urinary bladder Wow. Uh, as, you, as you know, organs do not regrow. So Padre Pio died about three weeks after their, his, their trip. And my grandmother dedicated her life to keeping her promise. Her child is, was still alive. She was going to make Padre Pio famous. She was going to make him known to the world. And that's what she did. With the National Center for Padre Pio, this is one of the ways that she was able to do that. Now, tell me a little bit about the National Center for Padre Pio. Are you a shrine? Is this like one of the places you would go? Like, if I have a tremendous devotion to Padre Pio, I should go there and I should pray there? Is that what you would recommend? That is correct. We we have uh, the largest collection of Padre Pio relics outside of Italy. We have them in our museum. Um, each day we have, uh, we pray the rosary every day. And after the rosary, we invite the visitors to come forward and touch a glove relic of Padre Pio. Um, we have a replica chapel, Our Lady of Grace chapel that Padre Pio was, that was the chapel that Padre Pio offered mass in when he was alive. Um, we are situated on approximately 106 acres of beautiful farmland here in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Uh, the grounds are peaceful and beautiful. We get we we do get a lot of people in need of healing that come here. They are able to find some sort of peace here, being being with us, um, and we we do our best to to take care of all that come and see us. Now you are in Bartow, Pennsylvania. So if someone yep. was going to go to the National Center of Padre Pio. Is there other shrines to other different saints in the area that they would want to hit at the same time? Uh, so they certainly could. We, we are approximately three hours from uh, the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. So if you are here for a, you know, able to, to take a little bit of a longer ride, uh, we actually just had Father Christopher Alar from that shrine here uh, this past weekend um, to offer a conference. Uh, we also have Our Lady of Chestahova right in Doylestown, uh, the Central Association for the Miraculous Medal in Philadelphia, um, and there are several other Catholic shrines in the Philadelphia area. Yeah, so I can think of uh, St. John Neumann. There's a, a shrine there. St. John there. Neumann, yep. Yeah. St. Saint, Saint Rita, St. Rita of Cassia, she's here. Um, and I, I feel like there's a... Oh, well, I am I'm, I'm, feel like I'm missing one. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's sufficient. So actually, an interesting thing. So I do know, and this is probably controversial to some people, uh, but not to me at least. So uh, I was just in Garamandel, Spain, and Padre Pio had a, a little correspondence with some of the visionaries in Garamandel, actually. And I saw one of the letters. It's entrusted to uh, the aunt of one of the visionaries. And so I was able to look at the 
letter that Padre Pio sent and signed with his own name. So he seemed to believe in these apparitions that were received in the 1960s by these uh, children, these uh, girls in uh, Garamendal, Spain. And uh, we could talk a little bit about his Marian devotion that Padre Pio honored the first Saturdays. That was a devotion he kept. There's always that very famous image of Padre Pio kissing the statue of Our Lady of Fatima, like picking it up and uh, or, or just drawing close to it to uh, kiss Our Lady. Uh, so that's a very touching image. He had a great devotion to the rosary. He prayed many, many rosaries a day. In fact, I don't know how he prayed so many rosaries, to be honest. Uh, but what a tremendous gift uh, that he was able to do that. So um, anything in particular about his Marian devotion that you're aware of that you'd like to share? Sure. So we'll start with Garabendal. Um I would say that while I, I, I can see why it's controversial, the Padre Pio's official stance on Garabandal was that he would not speak on it before Holy Mother Church. And that was essentially what he was said when he was asked about that. And of course, he was asked about whether he, you know, whether he believed that there was a validity to that or not. Uh, and he, he publicly would always say, not before, I will not speak before the church. So, uh, as to the the, the letter, um, I myself have not seen it, but I, I know that his public stance was never before the church. He would not have spoken on anything without you know the having without the church having had some sort of official stance on it first. Marion uh, rosaries, I think you said next. So it's it's interesting. He he prayed you know anywhere from thirty five to forty five complete rosaries per day, um, we know that that would be really impossible for for someone like us. But Padre Pio lived in two worlds, and he had said, you know, at times, time moved differently for him than it did for uh, the rest of the world. That is how he was really able to to say the number of rosaries that he said every day, and he did. You, you alluded to it, you know, that the rosary was his weapon. It was his greatest weapon against uh, evil. Um, as far as devotion to the Blessed Mother, he did have great devotion to Our Lady, particularly Our Lady of Fatima. Um, have you heard the story, the, the 1959 story about the, his illness, his lung illness, and, and her healing of him? Tell us more about that. So in 1959, the Pilgrim Virgin of Fatima statue was flown to San Giovanni Rotondo. Uh, Padre Pio was gravely sick with what he would eventually would eventually be diagnosed as bronchial pneumonia. But because he was sickly throughout most of his life, everything he got really took a toll on him. Padre Pio suffered immensely. So he was sick. He could not go and see the statue. And he was very heartbroken about that. As the statue was being flown out of uh, San Giovanni, he was able to get to the window and essentially, you know, not not yelled at the Blessed Mother because I don't think that's how he would have termed it. But you know, he he implored her, "You you came to visit me, and yet, you know, you you couldn't heal me. I was not able to see you." Inexplicably, and the pilot of the helicopter that was carrying the statue never really. Um, he couldn't explain why he did this, but he flew back around Our Lady of Grace Friary in a circle 
and essentially the helicopter passed by Padre Pio's window again, and he was immediately cured of the bronchial pneumonia. Our Lady coming through for one of her beloved priests and one of the great saints of our tradition. So, yeah, what a powerful story. So Padre Pio obtains many miracles for different people, and then Our Lady does the same for him. So, wow. These stories of the saints are always very incredible to talk about. and, And really, you feel, and they make present to us, the reality of, of these heavenly mysteries that we're able to behold, I think. I agree. Uh, they, they're really, uh, they're, they're very inspiring, uh, particularly Padre Pio's stories. I mean, it, you, when you really think about the suffering that he had to endure, and yet, you know, he was known by his brother friars as, as being, you know, jovial, and he enjoyed jokes and, and playing card games. Like, he, he, he for all the... the weight on him and on his shoulders you know he he really handled it well uh obviously and i i find him to be extraordinarily inspirational in my own day-to-day life if somebody wants to learn more about padre pio there are lots of books out there there's some books where you can read the words of padre pio like uh there's a like padre pio spiritual direction for every day or something like that where there's a little quote from Mm -hmm. him What's the best book that you would recommend about Padre Pio? Oh, that's a, so I would suggest, and we, we carry it here, but not all the time. Um, it's called Padre Pio, The True Story, and it is written by uh, Reverend C. Bernard Ruffin, who is considered a Padre Pio historian or was considered a Padre Pio historian. He passed away recently, I would say a year and a half or so ago. Um, and that really, I mean, he, he studied Padre Pio for a very long time and he got, you know, more, he got friendly with the friars and he has some really good information in that book. And that would be kind of getting some inside information and learning more about him. And some of the things that we would learn more about him, I think, would be the stories of his bilocation, as you mentioned earlier. He also was a stigmatist, so he had the stigmata, um, what, what could you tell us about maybe the stigmata? And there, was there controversy? Did people doubt whether or not he authentically had stigmata? Oh, sure, they did, yeah. Uh, so the he started receiving the... the so when we say stigmata, obviously we think the, the five visible wounds. We talk about hands, feet, and side. And that's what people really reference when they talk about stigmata. But Padre Pio not only had that, um, he suffered the entire passion uh, of our Lord. And he also, when he was asked what was the most painful wound of his, uh, his, his answer caught people off guard. He said that it was uh, the wound on his shoulder. And what many people don't know is that he, he actually felt the weight of the cross on his shoulder as, as one of the, the signs of, of the passion. It was controversial. There were people that believed that he faked his, that he faked the wounds. Um, at the time, the Spanish flu was raging through Italy and Padre Pio was in charge of taking care of the, the friars and administering the, their, their shots. And he bought from a pharmacy local to the friary carbolic acid. 
And so they use that to to sterilize the needles um, that so that they could give the shots. But people interpreted that, well, perhaps he was using the carbolic acid to uh, self-inflict these wounds. So they were bandaged. They bandaged the wounds for eight days, and they decided that after eight days, if the wounds were not real, they would surely so show some signs of healing. After they were unwrapped, there was no sign of healing. The church, the friary was still panicked. You know, they, they really didn't know how to handle this. So they ended up um, banning him from public ministry for you know, like three or four years, he was not able to offer mass in public. He was not able to hear confessions. I mean, he, he really was, and he was obedient. He did exactly what his, what the church wanted him to do. He, he suffered in silence, but you know, there, there was a lot of people who really believed that this was not legitimate. And this was the uh, crazy person self-inflicting to put themselves, self-inflicting wounds to put themselves on the level of God. Over time, we would find out that that wasn't true. And in fact, the wounds finally started to heal within the last days of his life. And when he died, his skin was, it it had healed completely without any signs even of scarring, which only really casts uh, more um, validity on what that this was in fact true stigmata even had they been self-inflicted wounds even in the healing process there would have been scarring they would not have healed completely uh the, i've seen pictures of his hands and his feet uh shortly after his death he completely healed you mentioned his public ministry and for padre pio he was one of the most popular or most famous confessors in all of italy you alluded earlier that he read souls so people wanted to go to confession to him because they wanted to have this very powerful experience of God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And then also with his celebration of the Mass, he very reverently and solemnly celebrated the Mass. His Masses would go on for a very long period of time, and he would be in an ecstatic moment, if memory serves, when he would consecrate the host or that lift the chalice. He would just be in constant adoration in that moment. So... Yeah, and you can actually watch, I think, some of his, you know, celebrations of Mass on YouTube. There's a few YouTube clips of it, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. There are. Uh, there are also several uh, DVDs that are available, particularly of his last Mass. In fact, there is a DVD of his last Mass, which took place on September 22nd, 1968. Um, yes, no, you're absolutely right. He would essentially undergo the... Um, the passion during the consecration of of the Eucharist, he 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 lived the Mass as he offered it. And talking about Marian devotion, as I focus on how Padre Pio loved Mary, one of the things he said is, if you want to experience the Mass well, we'll do it alongside Our Lady of Sorrows. And essentially, bringing to the fa- the forefront the fact that the Mass is, the, is Calvary once again. And so Mary was there as Jesus died upon the cross. And so at Mass, then, we are in the presence of the Lord and also Mary. We can be there spiritually present with her as well. When uh, Padre Pio died, so he dies, they have the funeral mass, then they have the cause for canonization and all these things. He eventually is lifted up on the altars. 
First says Blessed and then Saint Pio of Pietrelcina. Uh, is he an incorruptible? So there are, uh, no. To answer that question in the, the, the simplest term, no. He is not considered one of the incorruptibles of the Church. Um, however, his body is on display. He was exhumed in 2008, and his body is on display in uh, Pietro, or no, it's not in Pietrocina. It had visited in Pietrocina, but it's currently in San Giovanni Rotondo at Our Lady of Grace Capuchin Priory. Uh, when he was exhumed, they, they found that he wasn't, there was a lot of moisture when he was, when he was buried, like he wasn't properly sealed. There was, there was water that got involved and it caused him to, you know, degrade, but not so severely that they did not feel as though they couldn't put him on display. So they created a, a wax mask of his face. I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but it looks really... Uh, you wouldn't know it was a wax mask unless you knew it was a wax mask. Um, I've also seen photos, though, of him with his hands folded over his chest, and you can see the, the, blackened, uh, the blackened flesh and, and where there's some decay. Uh, I believe his hands are currently covered, but no, he is not considered to be an incorruptible of the church. Okay. Yeah, I just wasn't sure, and so I thought, you know, such a holy man could have been. Now, tell me if I'm wrong about this. During the year of mercy, maybe, that our Holy Father Pope Francis called for, wasn't he one of the saintly bodies that was brought to the Vatican uh, for the celebration of the year of mercy? Yes, he was. Wow. So, and again, that was partly because of his role as a confessor, uh, the fact that he heard so many confessions and that he was gifted uh, in that way. Uh, anything else really strike you about Padre Pio and his life and his ministry? So I think that one of the things that I really, what we try to keep in mind here is that Padre Pio while we are the National Center for Padre Pio, that is the title of our, our organization, Padre Pio was extraordinarily humble. And even though we are doing all of this work in his name, he would remind us, you know, as I said earlier, for the church, always for the church. No matter how famous he became or how you know, important a figure he is, he always tried to turn the spotlight back away from himself and back to where it belongs, which is our Lord Jesus Christ and our Blessed Mother. So we try to keep that in mind here as well. While we are working to honor Padre Pio, we remember that all glory really does go to, to our Heavenly Father, and we try to keep that in everything that we do because that's what Padre Pio would expect of us. And that's a really good right ordering of things, that, uh, that because of who Padre Pio is, it's all, of, it's all on account of what God did in him and with him and through him in the life of the church. And so that's a great example of how we should be devoted to the saints and honor them and so forth. So... Um, I'm very grateful for our conversation today, and if people want to learn more about the National Center for Padre Pio, how could they do that? The easiest way would be to visit our website. It's very easy, uh, www.padrepio.org.
org, padrepio.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Padre Pio Inc., the abbreviation for Incorporated, or just search us, National Center for Padre Pio. Uh, we live stream Rosary and Chaplet of Divine Mercy every day. Um, so for all of the intentions of people who call here looking for prayers, and um, that would really be the best way to find out more about us and to get in touch with us. You can send us your prayer petitions, and they'll be placed on a relic glove of Padre Pio and remembered every day in our prayers here at the center. Now, I'm curious about the live stream of the Rosary and the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Was this all a result of COVID, or was that something you were already doing before that? It was completely a result of COVID. So we were we, we had the rosary and the chaplet of divine mercy every day here anyway, but we had not really gotten into live streaming. Um, when we shut down, we started receiving phone calls and emails because uh, we ended up shutting down for about three months. We started receiving phone calls and emails that uh, from people that, you know, they, they missed us and they missed being able to, to come out and be with us and pray with us and, and just how important it was for for these prayer petitions and intentions to be remembered in, in the prayers that we offered here. So we decided to start live streaming. So each day we would, a different staff member would come into the facility and we would pray the rosary. And we ended up cultivating a tremendous online following so much so that when we reopened our doors, um, People were, we were not sure if we wanted to continue on with live streaming, but the people that we had connected with, I mean, from all over the world, we, we have people who watch us from Asia, um, from uh, Europe, everywhere. I mean, all over the world, we have people that, that watch us every day religiously. So um, we still do it. We're still going strong and people really seem to, to be happy about it. So uh, we don't have any plans of stopping that anytime soon. And that's great. It's a way for people who may not be able to make it there to feel like they're praying in union with those who are there uh, at the National Center for at the National Center for Padre Pio. So uh, wonderful. Well, I hope to one day make it out there. I've never been there, uh, but it seems like a good place for me to strive to one day visit. I'd love to go to Italy too and see San Giovanni Rotunda and other places pertinent in the life of Padre Pio. So I haven't done that yet myself either. So uh, all these Catholic bucket list items that I have. Uh, we would love to have you out here to see us. I'm, I'm happy. I'll give you a tour of the facility if you can make your way out here. That's great. And uh, to have it from somebody who's so closely connected to it, uh, since it's so much a part of your family history for many generations. Well, I encourage everybody to check out uh, the National Center for Padre Pio. And thanks so much, Nicholas, for joining me today. Yep. You too, Father. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that the conversation with our guest was one that was enriching for you as much as it was for me. I am so honored that you listen to How They Love Mary. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd encourage you to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so that others might begin to see this podcast show up as a recommended podcast for them. I look forward over the next 28 weeks of discussing the different figures from my new book, How They Love Mary, available from Sophia Institute Press. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, 
head on over to Sophia Institute and acquire your copy today or wherever you get Catholic books. Thanks so much for listening today. May God bless you today and Mary pray for you.